I lost my dad a week before I started at York. Oh man. You always want to think that you're tough and you always want to think that you're resilient, but you really don't know what you're capable of until you're put in a situation like that. But I do think adversity is really, really important to experience. So you know how to better handle situations as they come up. Because I think it's really hard for us to empathize with people if we haven't, you know, been through the ringer ourselves. I think it's so important that, you know, when we're thinking about programs and, and working with our athletes and our clients, we need to see them as a human first. And if things come up in their lives that, you know, they, they might not be training at their best or they might not be eating at their best or sleeping like they normally do. We, we have to know, you know, where that's coming from and how to help them and how to be a support without being another stressor. Hey everyone, before we dive in with today's guest, I want to make sure you know that we are now doing communication training online with professionals of all kinds. Now, prior, we've had our live events, we've had online courses, we have so many different things. But one thing that's came out of this pandemic is more and more people just want to connect. They're looking to evaluate themselves more as communicators, especially since they now have to do so in a digital and virtual space. Now, you don't have to worry. This isn't, it doesn't matter what age you are, what your experience level is, what your profession is. All that matters is that you want to grow as a communicator. And we have one-off options. We have options for one month of coaching, three months of coaching, three months of coaching. How's that? We're, we're teaching communication training and I flub up. But we have so many different options that fit your lifestyle, your budget. If you want more information, be sure to email info at artofcoaching.com and they'll hook you up. All right. More about today's guests in a moment. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Today on the show, Elena Luciani. Elena is a strength and conditioning coach and the creator of Training to Excel. Now, as is the case with most guests on our show that come from the performance profession, I really don't think the name strength and conditioning coach does them justice. So Training to Excel was born as a resource for Elena to share her learnings and experiences of which you guys are going to learn are pretty unique. I mean, losing her dad at such a young age, the inspiration that her mother is from her, I can't wait till you dive in here. But she wanted to be able to share her learnings and experiences as a young coach and has now developed into a full-time business for her. She continues to work with high-performance athletes across different domains, and she also has a tremendous passion for communication. She is somebody that I noticed kind of creeping in a good way in the comments a lot. It was almost like every post, Elena had something not just to say, but something impactful, something that added great value to the post itself. She loved to dive deep, and that's what we discuss a little bit in this episode. We talk about the roots. Is struggle really necessary for you to be able to overcome and become what you need to be? I mean, it's really, really a unique story, and I can't wait for you guys to dive in. And listen, if Elena and anything she says interests you, be sure to check out her resources. The people on this podcast are just like you, just like me. They're really trying to do something that provides more value to the lives of others, but they can't do it without your support. So dive in, make sure to turn up the volume, get your free podcast reflection sheet, and give Elena your attention. Hey, everyone. So nice to have you join us on another episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. I am here with Elena Luciani. Elena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really pumped to be here. You've been one of our most dedicated listeners. You actually popped up on my radar because, you know, I kept seeing on social media, man, this person's sharing a lot about the podcast. And, you know, it meant a lot to me because early days, you know, this was a big experiment. And we knew that we had this community of people early on, you know, just strength coaches, but we wanted to do something so much bigger for leaders in general that we knew if we just talked about training and everything else that, Sure, people people would like it, but we really wanted to talk about tough topics. We wanted to talk about things that were uncomfortable. So I just want to say thank you for being such a dedicated listener, and I'm, I'm really happy to be able to have you on the show now. Uh, of course. I mean, I'm happy to support, uh, obviously, people that I really align with, and I 
I think you're talking about things that aren't talked about a lot. And I think, you know, in my experience, I, I noticed the, um, the importance of communication and leadership, leadership skills. And I mean, we didn't go through that in our NSCA textbook. We didn't go through that in, in our degrees. And so I, I think it's really important conversation and it's just so refreshing to hear it, you know, surfacing more and becoming more of an everyday conversation for people and coaches. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And as you know, as somebody that's listened before, we dive right in, we don't kind of pull any punches and I want the audience to get to know you a little bit more, but you know, what I'd like you to tie into your background, if you wouldn't mind addressing, and you talked about this right off the bat when we were off the air is it's, it's intriguing to me when somebody dives headfirst in this space of communication, leadership, the tough stuff, especially, you know, you have such unique insight having lost your father. And when we look at, you know, what leadership is, we look at how people kind of get familiarized with it at a young age. I mean, whether it is somebody, you know, and, and their relationship with their mother or their father, our parents are our earliest influence to that. Would you mind, and you can tie it into your background so our audience gets to know you a bit better, talking about how that impacted you and how it's kind of shaped where you're going right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a house of athletes and coaches. So I was really fortunate that my parents saw a benefit in putting us in activities. And I say us, I have two older brothers and I am that classic kid sister that whatever my brothers did, well, like I had to do it too. So, um, you know, they played sports, I played sports, they trained in their off season. I trained in, in, in my off season, Um, and you know, I grew up watching my dad on the sidelines pretty much as, as early as I can remember. And my mom's a professional speaker. So I also, you know, would travel with her and kind of watch from the back of the room as she commanded the attention of, you know, hundreds of people. And these are all things that I just uh, were exposed to at such a young age. And it was never brought up in any sort of schooling, in any courses I took, in any, in any sort of continuing education. It just, and it's something that came so naturally to me because of the environment I was brought up in. Um, and I was fortunate to grow up with such strong role models. Um, and, you know, after fast forward to, you know, just under three years ago when I lost my dad, that really pivoted things for me. It really, really shifted things for me, especially in my business and what I want to, you know, whether it be known for, or I'm not sure what the right word is, but I, I think those leadership skills and those communication skills are, you know, it's a, of course, it's important to have a foundation of knowledge, you know, with the exercise science and with programming, but if you can't deliver it in a clear way, then it doesn't matter how much, you know, and I think that's just such a big gap. And, it, and it's the reason why so much of what you say and talk about in your books and in your podcast resonate with me, because these are things I grew up with. And I remember early on in strength and conditioning, I was working with some really, really educated coaches, but I was noticing the way they coach things. So, and I think of this one really kind of vivid example is we're working with a group of 14 year old hockey players. And the coach is talking about activation and the lats and all this stuff. And I'm looking at the body language of these athletes and they just look so confused. So then I kind of come in, I'm like, okay, I, you know, think about juicing a grapefruit between your armpits when, when you're, you're in the pull-up and all of a sudden it was like light bulbs went off and it made sense to them. And it's something I actually shied away from for a really long time. Cause I thought it was a weakness. I thought my strength of communication skills were, were not strong enough to, to set me apart. I thought I had to get more letters beside my name and read more books and read more articles. And it actually wasn't until I did my master's that I worked with some really awesome coaches that just helped me recognize that those really truly are strengths and strengths that are needed in this industry. Um, so I, I guess to tie into my background a little bit more, um, I was in collegiate athletics for quite some time. So Um, I was a student athlete at Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo, Ontario, and um, I actually had the unique opportunity of creating the strength and conditioning program there. Um, So I worked there for uh, two years, working with 13 of the varsity teams, and then went on to pursue my master's in coaching at Ohio University, came back to Toronto, uh, and started working at York University. All this time, I had kind of started my business when I was back at Laurier, and it was, uh, I 
lost my dad a week before I started at York. Oh man. Um, so that was a very, um, man, like you always want to think that you're tough and you always want to think that you're resilient, but you really don't know what you're capable of until you're put in a situation like that. Um, and so that year just had me do a lot of reflection. Is this, do I want to be in the collegiate setting? Um, you know, do I want to have a roof over my head and, and feel like I can't grow in this position? Cause at the time I didn't feel like there was a ton of growth for me there. And so I made the decision to go off into the entrepreneurial world. And I'm happy to say, I, I haven't looked back and it's been about two years since I've been a full-time entrepreneur. That is absolutely one of the more unique backgrounds we've heard. I mean, especially, I mean, you touch on a lot of key points there. One, I didn't know your mother was a professional speaker. So that's, yeah. what does she speak on? Um, you know what? She is kind of a, I don't want to say broad, but she really just talks about life. And um, a big topic for her is joy. And I'm going to give her a little bit of a plug because during this quarantine, she's been putting up these YouTube videos for her own, like just to fill her own boredom. And one of them has hit 3 million views, oh, which wow. makes us all laugh so much because again, she's just doing it to keep herself busy. and it's brought a lot of joy to people's lives, which is pretty special. So she's kind of using her skills in now a new way. And, and she sells lots to learn with the technology side of things, but you know, she's getting there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can appreciate that. One question I wanted to bridge off of that, especially talking about your father is this concept of, you know, loss in leadership. Do you think, and this is fairly broad and it's a broad question for a reason, feel free to expand in any way that you want. Do you think to be an effective leader or let's call it an adaptable leader one benefits from having experienced some losses in their life. Now, of course, it doesn't have to be something as dramatic as, as losing their father or my hospitalization or things like that. But do you think to really be the leader that we can become that you need to experience some sense of a loss or putting your ego on the chopping block uh, in different ways, as opposed to what many of us actually expose ourselves daily? I, I do think, and it, again, it doesn't necessarily have to be loss, but it has to be some sort of adversity. Mm. Because I think it's really hard for us to empathize with people if we haven't, you know, been through the ringer ourselves. And it's amazing the conversations that surfaced with athletes after, you know, they found out about my dad and the things that they would start to talk to me about and share. Um, and, you know, I, I think in this weird, sick kind of way, I think losing a parent, it's just this like unwritten understanding that you have when you meet an individual oh, sure. that has also been through something similar. You don't even have to say anything and you can't even really explain it, but it's just this really deep level of understanding. And I, I don't wish that on anyone, but I do think adversity is really, really important to experience. So you know how to better handle situations as they come up. Um, I, I, I think it's so important that, you know, when we're thinking about programs and, and working with our athletes and our clients, well, we also need, we need to see them as a human first. And if things come up in their lives that, you know, they, they might not be training at their best, or they might not be eating at their best or sleeping like they normally do. We, we have to know, you know, where that's coming from and how to help them and how to be a support without being another stressor. Um, so, you know, I had, I, I've had clients that, you know, actually just recently I had a client had to put down her dog. She still wanted to, she still wanted to work out. She still wanted to do something, but what we had written down on the program was not what she needed that day. And because I could understand, you know, the, the human side of things, I was able to make some changes and do something that that's going to allow her, um, to benefit in, in other ways. So it's not necessarily like, again, I don't wish that feeling on anyone, but I do think it's important that, you know, people don't shy away from tough situations Yeah, no, and I, they do it. Yeah. No, I, I think your, your point's well made. I mean, of course you don't wish it on anybody, but it does give what a, a lot of the research refers to as a code, right? This, there's symbols, there's a shared meaning, there's a shared understanding. I mean, it can be very much like gestures in a different culture and it's tribal in essence, right? Like I know my father lost his dad when he was 11 or 12. I mean, it changes every time I talk to my dad, he doesn't really remember, but you know, he would always say the same thing, you know, and, and we all go through some of those experiences. I mean, right now, I mean, I imagine there's gotta be generally, we have about 50,000 people that download each episode there's going to be a lot of folks that have lost a, a, a father or a mother or a significant other. And that's the beauty of it is we can relate to shared struggle, right? Because struggle begets strategy. 
Um, and, and I know there's consequences to these things. And those consequences, we look at that as such a negative term. But uh, something happening as a consequence, whether first order or second order consequence, is what brings about an adaptation. It's what creates change. Yet people get so scared to put themselves in situations because, like you said, Elena, they don't have to experience dramatic loss, but you do have to experience some kind of, uh, let's just call it friction. You do have to experience some kind of questioning of your own beliefs. You do have to experience, dare I say, I hate the term now because it's been overused, vulnerability. I like exposure, right? When you feel like you're exposed, let's say you're, I mean, you're in Canada, right? You're in Toronto, uh, exposure to the cold, you get this chill, this shiver. Uh, if somebody has that dream that we all have at one point in our life that, oh, we showed up to class or we're in front of something completely naked without clothes, you just feel this embarrassment. And we, we've got to have that. Do you find yourself today still putting yourself in situations like that? And if so, can you give the audience some examples of where you will kind of venture into the unknown, even if it terrifies you or puts you in an uncomfortable spot, any stories are welcome. Yeah. So I think being an entrepreneur, you kind of have no choice, but to do that every day. (laughs) And, um, I have a, a group of coaches that I mentor and, you know, as much as I try to share my experience with them and, and tell them where I made mistakes, I also tell them like, sometimes you need to try these things for yourself to figure out whether it's going to work or not. And that's always been how I've learned is I need to experience things for myself. And, you know, and going back to the comment I made when I talked about resiliency and, and that was someone, I I remember someone, you know, referring to me, Oh, you you seem to be really resilient. And I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah. yeah." And then you go through that situation and you're like, Oh shit. Like, yeah, I am resilient. I, and, and it almost um, brings about a little bit of a different confidence that you wouldn't, normally get if you didn't kind of put yourself in those challenging situations. I think giving and receiving feedback is um, a way that it's a little bit more temporary, a little bit, you know, um, I guess more short term, but I've been in some uncomfortable situations where I've had to deliver feedback that is coming from a good place, but it, it doesn't necessarily make it any easier. And even just little things like that, it's like putting yourself in those situations and doing it um, repeatedly is what's going to make it, um, I don't want to say easier, but it's just, you're, you're going to go grow confidence with that. Um, there have been a lot of things that I've tried with my business, whether it's services or workshops or whatever it might be that have, you know, fallen flat, but I wouldn't have learned and I wouldn't have gotten myself to where I am today. Had I not tried those things. Um, and, and I could think of some situations. I, I was a head strength coach for the Laurier football team. And, you know, I had to have a lot of really uncomfortable discussions with um, guys that weren't buying in to, you know, what, what I was creating there simply because I was a woman. And unfortunately, there, there's only so many ways around that. And, you know, but I just kept putting myself in those uncomfortable positions And as I said, it doesn't necessarily get easier, but now I have the confidence to know that I can handle it and know that I'm going to get through it and I'm going to learn something from it. And so when people shy away from, um, you know, from trying something new, maybe it's you're picking up a new sport or an activity or you're trying an exercise for the first time, we're not going to be perfect. We're all rookies in some capacity at some point, but we get to where, where we get to because we repeatedly keep putting ourselves in these situations. Yeah. And you mentioned some good points about shying away from things and attacking what's easier, doing the easy work. And, and I think many of us can be guilty of that in various situations, right? If if you're a business owner, oftentimes it can be easy to dive right into emails instead of diving into the big project you need to do. If you're a strength coach, I think it's very easy for you to continue to go back to the well in regards to understanding programming instead of diving into more complex topics. Uh, we all kind of can pick off. I mean, even I'm guilty of it. There's times where um, even today, you know, there's some tasks I have lined up. And I probably should have said no to those things. Um, There's some podcast interviews that I'm doing for others. And it's not that I don't appreciate it or value them, but I'm working on a new project. Admittedly, I'm working on a new book. I'm working on a new course. And I continually find ways to, and it's the people pleaser in me, Elena. I'll say yes to things that I look back on. I'm like, that was valuable, but I didn't need to say yes to that in exchange of my time that I should have been working on something else. Um, I think that leads us into something I really wanted to ask you, and it goes hand in hand with what you mentioned there. We talked a little bit beforehand about 
this idea of certifications. Now, you have a pretty rich reservoir, right? I know you're a certified strength and conditioning specialist. You have your USAW level one. You're a precision nutrition coach level one, right? You've got all these things. And the question I keep asking, and this actually came from a member of our podcast Facebook group, is at what point, how many certifications are enough for our field? Especially, because this is the differentiation, especially where it pertains to training and or nutrition and why we're not seeing that in the communication space. Because I've been asked, are you going to do a certification? Are you going to do this? And we have mixed thoughts on on that whole certification thing. Um, you know, we do a lot of different stuff, and I know you're a part of it, whether it's online courses or our apprenticeship and what have you. But why is it that our field tends to just keep going to this certification reservoir on the training side, and they keep ignoring the communication psychology side? Do you think it's because they, they literally view – the psychology and communication side is as not a need. Is it just something that's a nice add on or talk to me about why you think that is, or even your own thoughts on it? Yeah. I mean, I, man, this, this is a a great topic because I I see it a lot. I I feel like I'm kind of, um, you know, I have one foot in the strength conditioning world, but I guess also in, actually, I don't even want to say it. I'm very much in the strength conditioning world, but then there's the fitness industry. That's totally fine. I, Yeah. And, and, um, I think the, the issue comes in when, how do I put this in a it's nice, okay. take, yeah, take, take them. You don't have to put it in a pretty sentence. People are tuning in to hear raw thoughts. So just take your time and say whatever you want to say. It's a benefit of unscripted podcasts so that people are listening mm-hmm. to a real discussion. Yeah. I think, I, I think the issue might be is because it's a little bit unregulated, like, I, I think, um, you know, the NSCA is the gold standard. I, I really do think that they, you know, provide top-notch education. They have, um, you know, prerequisites in place. So they know that the people that are taking their certifications or taking their exams have some sort of formal education, which I think is really, really important. And not to say that it's only important to, you know, be well-educated. I think the communication piece, I think people just think it's supposed to come naturally. And for some people, it does. As I said, I was fortunate enough to grow up in an environment where, you know, I was told to ask questions when I had a question. I was told to stand up for myself. I was told, you know, to take action, um, you know, and and communicate things in a clear way. And and these are all things my parents instilled in my brothers and I at a very young age. And but then I, you know, going back to that story I told about working with that other coach, he could probably recite a textbook from front to back. But talking to human beings was a challenge. So I think that could be an area where people shy away from it because it makes them uncomfortable. And I know you um, do a lot of improv in your apprenticeship, is it? Um, Yep. And I, I love that because it puts people on their feet. And that's how we have to operate as coaches. So, you know, going back to the certification piece, I really do think education is important. And I think it is important to do a certification that has you studying and learning and applying um, as opposed to just kind of showing up for a one day thing and then being able to walk away and and have people's um, health in your hands. I think there does has to there does have to be some sort of regulation to things. Um, and I know the NSCA is, is starting to do that by creating a list of the registered strength and conditioning coaches is one of their new things. Um, and I think that is important because they're, they're essentially having people um, prove that they have been active strength coaches because it is one thing to take a course, but then never apply it. So sure, you could put CSCS beside your name, but if you're not in the trenches, well, you're probably not, you know, given the opportunity to apply what you've learned. So I, I think it, you know, there's a lot of kind of weekend courses out there, which I think are great because they're making it accessible for people. But people also have to understand that there's a ton of information that goes into having that, you know, clear understanding of how the body operates, um, you know, whether that's anatomy or physiology. And a lot of that can't be covered in in a weekend course. So um, not to say that you need to have a ton of letters beside your name, but making sure that if you are choosing a certification, how long is it taking you to write that? Is it, is it a one hour thing you buy the textbook and you just sift through the textbook as you fill it out? Or do you have to go kind of chapter by chapter, review, revisit, 
try things, apply things, and then write the exam at a later date. I think that's that's a really good indicator of um, you know an establishment that's that's forcing you to take more time with it than just kind of showing up and reading a couple pages and writing an exam. Um, and and I, I have experience with the NSCA. That's why I could speak to it. Um, and but I learned the most, I would say, in my master's degree, and not only because of the courses that I, I took. Um, and I did my master's in coaching, so it was a lot about leadership and management. We talked about a lot of the things that um, you know both you and I seem uh, or deem as important. Um, but it was the experience I had in the weight room with those athletes. So I was able to learn in class, and then I had an area to apply, which I think is where the disconnect sometimes is. There's a ton of strength coaches that are like, I just read 12 articles this morning. And I'm like, okay, but then how are you applying what you've learned or what what you've read? Or how are you distinguishing, you know, what is going to work with your coaching philosophy and what's not? There has to be kind of like a middle process. Um, And that's where, you know, the communication comes in, having a conversation with people um, or, you know, or with different coaches getting to know different perspectives and not just talking to people that have the same view as you, because then you're, you're just stuck in this kind of little pocket and you don't get to see things from a different perspective. So if somebody's with that, you know, and your points are well made about regulation, although, right. Like I think you and I can both agree that there's a double-edged sword with that. Sometimes people can use regulation as a form of control. Um, it can be really easy for organizations to say, Hey, we're going to enforce some regulations but then really what they're doing is they're kind of making it so everybody has to go through their own thing. Um, and that's where we have to be. We, we have to hold larger organizations accountable um, because it, it can happen. There can be organizations that create poor courses, poor preparation, but they've got the power and the authority to say, you have to go through our channels and then they kind of monopolize the market. I mean, we see that in anything. And so we have to be careful there, but uh, to your point, we also have to have some standard. We have to have some uh, you know, I was glad when the NSCA was like, yeah, we're going to give CEUs to bot in. And they, they also give CEUs to our apprenticeship because they understand that communication is a critical part of that. Now, we are still trying to get them to understand that coaches still need, uh, you know, resources on burnout and career management. We weren't able to get CEUs for valued. And hopefully that changes because when you have more than 3,000 strength coaches early on reaching out saying, hey, we feel stuck, we feel undervalued. Uh, we feel burnout. You know, we think that that has to be a core part of the curriculum. But admittedly, I would be livid if all of a sudden an organization says, well, now we're going to create something, but we're only going to regulate or validate our own resources. So anybody external to that, tough. I would have an issue with that, especially as somebody that put together resources that have 150 to 200 articles or peer reviewed this or peer reviewed that. I'm going to say, hey, like, no, if you, if you want to support your community, you also have to take a holistic view. And admittedly, that's not an easy thing, right? Because then they have to vet who is a trusted resource. But at the same time, I don't think that's any different than Apple when they make an iPhone saying, Who's, who are we going to trust with the creation of our chip? Um, who are we going to use for a Gorilla Glass distributor? Um, so I, I think we have to be careful about regulating things so much that they become ubiquitously internal, um, but that they also have like preferred trusted partners based on uh, as you mentioned, a proven track record, a history of authority, um, however they define that, and, and those kinds of things. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, something I kind of forgot to mention, I, I had someone recently reach out about certifications. And they were like, you know, which ones are do you have your eye on that, you know, you're going to work towards? And I thought I'd much rather spend my time and money on learning from different people that, that perhaps, you know, I could get CEUs from. And that that's the thing I do appreciate about that part of the process is if you continue to learn in different ways, you can accumulate the appropriate education to continue being certified, let's say through the NSCA. So instead of taking, you know, a kettlebell course and a backflip course and a push-up course and all these different things, I I would rather, you know, have less letters beside my name, but work harder to maintain that education and actually, like I said, apply it, um, then just kind of continue to, to build up those credentials and, and not have the time to actually utilize what I've learned. Yeah, no, it's good advice. So if I put you on the stand right now and I said, all right, this, and this is coming from the hundreds of DMs we, we all get on these things. If they say, hey, coach, 
um, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to be a strength coach or I'm trying to get into this field or I'm getting into the fitness realm, you know, which certification should I get and how many are enough to break down everything you just said? What is your simple answer in just a few sentences? I would say to um, choose a governing body that is reputable. Um, I, and I would say, you know, internationally, I, I think that's something that draws me to the NSCA is you can c- carry that around the world and, and people recognize that. Whereas some of these smaller certifications might only be beneficial if you're in a certain area, especially with the online world. I, I think it's important to bring that up because you have people in Canada working with people from the US, et cetera. Um, but it's also important to have that basis of education. And it, and I, I kind of stop myself in saying this because there are a lot of really great coaches that didn't realize they wanted to coach until after they graduated. Sure. That's after tough they went for anybody. Through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so I, I understand that side of things. I think it's just hard for me to sometimes see it from that side because I knew pretty early on that I wanted to be involved in sport and learning about the human body in some way. So I went into kinesiology and so I have a kinesiology degree and then I did my master's in coaching. And so I, I'm fortunate to have that background. Um, but I just think, you know, a good kind of rule of thumb is how long does it take you to get certified through that governing body? Is it something that happens in 48 hours or is it something that you actually have to take a couple months um, to, to build up that understanding and study and, and do your own research and then get tested for it. I think that's something I do appreciate about the process with the NSCA. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you look at, if I want to become a lawyer right now, I do like the inclusiveness of if I just want to switch careers now, that's a heck of a switch. Um, but I actually, you know, I, I enjoy rhetoric. I enjoy learning about what makes people tick. I enjoy storytelling. I always joke with my wife and say, if I stopped doing what I do in our field, you know, I'd probably go be an FBI criminal profiler. Now, I don't have to have a background. Like, I can go into law school at any age. I can. Now, it's going to be hard, and that's certainly going to not be exactly a cost-effective thing. But it's not like they say, hey, to for you to even go into law school, you have to major in this. So I, I will say I don't know that I like how, you know, if somebody does want to get into performance, let's say at an older age, whatever that age is, older being a relative term, that they have to have a kinesiology degree. I, I do think we need some kind of accelerator program because, again, mm-hmm. there, there's other fields that I, I think everybody would agree that are fairly regulated that you can still get into. Um, but you definitely have to have obstacles. Again, that's why we call our weekend course uh, an apprenticeship because, I you know, I said it in emails back in January. I don't believe in this idea that you can become a two-day expert. Now, why is it two days? Well, I mean, simple. If we make it three, people then say, and I know this for a fact because we've tried it, well, I can't really be out of work for three days or I can't be gone for a weekend. So our field also has to decide what it's okay with and what it's not. Because on one end, they don't want weekend courses because they kind of joke and I'm, I'm with it. Like I joke about weekend experts. On the other end, if you try doing a four or five day course, people say they can't attend it because they can't afford it or they can't do it. Okay, well then what's the solution? And I think that's where strength and conditioning and fitness still has a long way to go because you can't, yeah. you, you can't have everything perfect. You can't have... Uh, this and that and have the most credible situation and it's all free or it's all, I mean, I, I already think that we're in trouble right now with how everybody's putting out so much free stuff. And then later on, they're going to ask for people to pay for it, but that's another subject. It just is tricky. And so when I, when people ask me, what certification should I get? You know, a similar answer to yours. I say, well, listen, it depends on what you want to do, where you want to focus on, but get something credible. But I will say this, this is where I draw the line. I do not think people need two to three to four training or nutrition certifications. If you want a training one, good. Get the training one that gives you the most, uh, like you said, worldwide credibility based on where it's accepted. No organization's perfect. They're all a shit show to some degree. Um, If you're going to be given nutrition advice or what have you, cool, get that. But then I I believe that after that, don't keep going down that rabbit hole. Like I kind of look at it. And again, this isn't to make anybody feel any certain way. This isn't a superiority thing. I just question it when I see somebody that is uh, NSCA, kettlebell, FMS, four other things. It's like, Hey man, I want to see some diversity here. You know, I do. I want to see diet. Like we want athletes who are diverse in their movement skills. We want, if you're in the fitness right side of thing, you want people that have, have a lifestyle where it's like, hopefully you wouldn't just recommend somebody lifts weights to stay fit, right? Like it's good to still walk around the block. It's good to get out in nature and hike, <laughs> yeah. have some activity. So I tell people like, listen, 
the spot that we fill at Art of Coaching is you need to have something on the social side. You need to have, unless, totally. unless somebody out there is getting uh, and, and spending a lot of time and money really focusing on concentrated research-backed tactics to become a better communicator, better understanding people, that's the void we're trying to fit. So, But then you say it, Elena, and then people say, well, you're trying to make money. Well, no shit, because we have a valuable resource. You don't think people that sell bottled water want to make more money? Yet yeah, they don't, nobody gets on them, right, because they're selling yeah. water, something that we need. Until somebody proves that we don't need communication and leadership education, we're going to keep providing that because we think that's yeah. valuable. Any any thoughts, devil's advocate or otherwise on that? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, when I think back to my, I, my master's and I bring this up because the course that engaged me the most was the management and leadership course. And it was taught by an individual who worked corporate, but also had a background with sport coaching. So he was able to kind of tie in things on both sides, but a lot of the books we read and a lot of the things we do were more kind of corporate based, which I really appreciated. And actually something I'm doing as kind of my own project is I'm reaching out to leaders in other industries. So I had a a conversation with um, a friend of mine, who's a director of sales at, um, at Shutterstock here in Toronto. And you know, I, I have kind of a, a bank of questions and it's really just so I can get to know different leadership styles in different areas, because it, it's so funny to see how much actually overlaps um, between, you know, being in the weight room and, and being in an office building. But I think, you know, again, that's something I'm doing out of my own curiosity. And it would be really cool if if we had more of the things that brought people from different industries so we can learn how you know, we communicate with each other, not just coach to athlete and not just, you know, um, employer to employee, but, and, and that's what I appreciate about what you're doing is, is, you know, the, the way you talk about it is it's not just for strength coaches. It is for anyone that wants to be, um, a stronger leader. And I just think, yeah, I, it's, it's just so funny that it's 2020 and still like leadership and communication skills are more important than ever, but more overlooked than ever. Oh, without um, a doubt. I mean, like the right thing, the, the thing we're doing right now as a, as a country, as a world is we're improvising and having to communicate on a higher level. But that's that, that's that familiarity breeds contempt, right? People, I was talking to my friend, Brianna battles and uh, you know, she does pregnancy and postpartum training. And, you know, one thing my wife said is what's, tr- what's interesting about Brianna is everybody knows uh, that works in this space that they're that they should probably educate themselves on on if they're going to train somebody who's pregnant or if they're going to train somebody who like that's a very specialized thing like that's something that if you're going to be in that space you better have that kind of certification because you can't just get a general certification and expect that to be covered that's but she goes the funny thing with art of coaching is again even though everybody needs that in specialized training because it's not so nuanced or esoteric people think they're already good at it you know, it's almost like you have to have something like you have to have something that people are like, whoa, that's an extreme circumstance, which, again, I, I would consider, I think, anybody, no matter how experienced they are as a coach, if you're training somebody who's pregnant, you've got to dial that in at a because there's a lot of back and forth on that literature of how to do that. Right. And there's just as many nuances in communication. You look at what we've looked at the last 20 years. People think transformational leadership's the best. Well, there's a lot that shows that's not the case. And that whole servant leadership model is actually pretty faulty at some times. But people think that, no, 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 I can just go down to Barnes & Noble, grab that book, and I'm good. What do we need to do, Elena, to make it clear in people's eyes, right, that this kind of stuff is specialized? It's not just this everyday thing that comes to us. What do you do to help people understand, like, no, like, you, you need to focus on this. Where do you think that lies? Yeah, so uh, so I run uh, queuing and programming clinics where – I, I, I tried to kind of bridge the gap between communication and kind of the X's and O's of strength and conditioning. So it's great, by the talk, way, I love that you do that. I, it's honestly been so much fun. I, I enjoy it. I think this is one of the things I enjoy doing the most, um, because I have the opportunity to, yes, talk about what periodization is and talk about, you know, what exercises should come before other ones. But for majority of the conversation, we talk about how important it is to properly be able to communicate with the individuals we're working with. So, um, you know, uh, this all started because I was filming myself doing some workouts to hold to hold myself accountable. And I thought, you know, how can I share this in a way that will provide um, some sort of value for people? So I started using the cues 
just kind of writing the cues around the video as to like where I think about certain things. And again, I, I use kind of more external cues, like pinching a pencil between the shoulder blades or squeezing a quarter between the bum cheeks or whatever it might be. But it clicked for people. And I got a lot of feedback of people saying like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. And the more I did it, uh, the more I realized there was a place for that. So the the coaches and the trainers that I work with are ones that are already, you know, pretty well educated, but are now refining their skills of taking the knowledge that they know and being able to deliver it in a digestible way, which is, I think, where a lot of coaches miss the mark is, yeah, sure, we know all this information, but true understanding and true knowledge is when we can take that and break it down to its simplest form and deliver it to someone who, you know, a lot of the times, like my athletes don't give two shits about what's happening in their body, right? Like, or, you know, they want to know where to feel it and they want to know that they're doing it properly, but they don't necessarily care so much about the exact muscles that are activated in the joints and, and how everything's working. When, when people ask why, or, um, you know, where is this happening and want to go in more detail, I'm happy to share that. But, um, you know, if, if I can't take the knowledge I have and deliver it in a way that's clear and concise for someone to pick up and understand, then I'm, I, I, I'm not doing my job. And so, you know, with these, something I, I try to tell myself because, you know, I, the reason I listen to art of coaching so much is because you say so many things that I'm like, why is this, like, why are more people not saying this? Like, why do more people not feel this way. And, and what I always go back to is I I'm trying to be the change that I wish to see in the industry. So that's why I started these clinics is if I could, from a very small, um, you know, very low level, start to change the conversation and, and start to shift some of the importance onto not only the, the science, but also the communication piece and how we actually instruct and coach the individuals we work with, then I, I just want to kind of slowly make that ripple effect. And, and hopefully that will kind of carry over in other ways until it becomes, you know, a bigger conversation that hopefully, you know, the maybe the NSA or another governing body will, will start to implement chapters and reach out to people like you to contribute to that. Um, you know, the thing I really appreciate about the precision nutrition course is First section is all science. Second section is all how to coach it, which I, I don't think I've seen in any other certifications. And that's something I, I really admire about that because you have all this information about nutrition and what to eat and how it works, but then you actually have information on how to implement that in a simple way to someone's life. Yeah, no, and they, oh, go ahead. I, I, no, I was just going to say, and I'm just surprised that there's, there's nothing of that sort in the strength and conditioning world. Well, there is now, you know, like the goal, yeah, yeah. The sorry, goal is, sorry, no, yeah. no, you don't have to, like we were talking, I was talking to John Berardi about that on a previous episode, all about, uh, we talked about his book change maker and everything. So if you guys haven't caught that one, make sure to go back. Um, by the time this comes out with Elena, uh, John Berardi's will be out. And we talked about that and, you know, he hit a sweet spot there. Cause when I asked him something similar, he said, listen, like we talked about this in, in, uh, kind of nutrition domain. So it was easier for people to gravitate to, to a degree because people were already diving headfirst into nutrition, you know, and whereas what we're doing with art of coaching and what you do with uh, coaching and cueing and what have you, you know, it, it's smarter. It, if you want to marry it with something, we're trying to make it stand alone because we don't believe that it is just strength and conditioning. And so when people are like, Hey, are you, are you tying this in with this and this and this? I'm like, no, we're looking at communication as a whole. And what's interesting is it really is a strength and conditioning localized issue to a degree because as of 2015, Harvard Business Review shows that uh, companies, American companies, spend enormous amounts of money on employee training and education in this space, $160 billion. Yet coaches will whine if something's like not free, right? And it's close to $356 billion globally, and that's 2015 alone. Now, they still show that there's issues with leadership development in that space primarily because a lot of times, just like we focus too much on training, sometimes they focus a little bit too much on wishy-washy leadership, not getting to the core of like, all right, what is good communication? So you mentioned the word process. I know for us, when we try to unveil our process, we say, what is lacking in that market and how can we get more scientific about it? So Nobody will ever leave not knowing what, what the definition of communication is, what the components of it are. And these are things are research-backed. 
what is part of your process when you say, hey, we're trying to talk about the science, talk about these things, but also how we deliver it? Do you have kind of your own version of a process or a heuristic that if somebody said, hey, in one paragraph, one sentence, one word, you could almost kind of lay that out? Yeah. So, I mean, the reason that I came up with these community and programming clinics is a couple of the coaches and the trainers that I was mentoring were, were going through the certification process with a couple, uh, you know, various governing bodies. And they were coming back to me saying, yeah, we focused a lot on this, but we didn't talk at all about this, um, you know, or we missed this, or they didn't even touch on programming and how to put it together. So I think, you know, what I'm trying to do right now is fill the voids that I'm seeing. And I, I mean, that's kind of how as entrepreneurs, we operate, right? We try to fill the voids of, of what's missing for people and, and how to um, educate them on it. But I mean, just even like, as we have this conversation, part of me wishes that I'm, my mom would do a course on communication. I mean, you know, something I can talk about in my queuing and programming clinics is not only verbal communication, but nonverbal communication, you know, how, how we hold ourselves, what, what, um, our body is showing people when we walk into a room or walk into a gym. And yeah, I, I, I think I, again, I, I try to look on it, look at it from a smaller scale and think, what can I do to make a change? And what can I do to talk about these things? And, and that's why I love creating the content that I do, because I talk about, you know, how important it is to be able to communicate with others. I mean, like our jobs wouldn't be possible if, if we couldn't take what we learn and communicate it with, with someone else. Um, and I, I find sometimes in strength conditioning, especially if I connect to some other strength coaches, like everyone wants to talk shop in a really um, detailed or textbook way. It's like, oh, I just read up on this and this and this. And I'm like, but have you read up on different learning styles or different ways of delivering feedback? Or it's like, that's the research that I'm drawn to right now that I'm trying to read more of to incorporate that into what I'm providing for other people. So again, I can kind of set that example and, and hopefully create that ripple effect. Now, all right, we're going to hit you with some hot round kind of questions here. Um, yes. for, first off, you had a birthday in April, right? Was it April 2nd? April 2nd, yeah. Cool. And, and did you turn 30 or how old did you turn, if you don't mind sharing? 30. Great. Well, first of all, happy belated birthday. Two, if you were giving somebody, let's say somebody in their 20s is listening to this, or even you can address it towards a past version of yourself, what is some advice you'd give them now as you enter a new decade, right? All that kind of stuff being relative, because I'm sure there's somebody listening to me like 30, she's not old enough to give advice, right? But like you're giving advice to somebody that's 20 or a past version of yourself. What's something simple as you'd pertain to, let's say your professional development or, or your career so far, or just even self-doubt, whatever you want it to be? I'm going to bring up a quote that I thought a lot about when I worked with over 500 student athletes at Laurier, and it is, you can be the juiciest, ripest peach, and there's still going to be someone that hates peaches. Yeah. Um, and that's just, you know, you're not going to please everyone. And I think it's, it's easy to want to do that, especially when we are service providers, but we, we really won't, it's not possible. So, um, you know, do, do what you can and focus on the people that, that are going to listen and engage, but there's also going to be people that don't agree with what you say and, and don't like what you say. And that's okay. I love that. I appreciate that. All right. And then another thing we do is we take quotes and we try to take some of the world's most popular quotes, or uh, sometimes we'll find some esoteric ones and we do kind of what's called shades of gray <laughs> and I'll read the quote and you have to give an example of where you agree with that quote and you just take it at face value. You don't need to overthink it. Right. And I'll give you an example. And then one where you don't agree. So one where you agree with it, one where you don't agree. I don't know if I misspoke a second ago, but either way, it's got to be kind of that black and white argument. So I'll just give you an example, right? Let's say I gave you the quote, and this isn't the one. But let's say uh, the famous Aristotle quote, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. You would give an example of where you actually do not think that's true. And then you would give an example where that is true. Are the rules clear? Yeah. Okay. I like this. Cool. And I'll, and I'll be happy to repeat it. The whole po the, the importance of it is just telling people about context. Cause too many times mm -hmm. we talk about it, the apprenticeship, people take things at too much at face value and they think there's an inherent right and wrong. 
without discerning context. So this is you kind of playing both sides of the fence and ripping down these common kind of contrived quotes. We'll do one or two of them, okay? Okay. Uh, This one is by Napoleon Hill, and I'll read it twice, okay? What the mind of man can conceive and believe, the mind of man can achieve. So I'll say it again. What the mind of man can conceive and believe, the mind of man can achieve. So talk first about where you do not agree. Um, I mean, I think we just have to be realistic sometimes. And there's, there's things that we can create in our head and ideas that we have, but actually executing them, there's a lot of factors that are out of our control. Mm. Um, so I'm just going to use a silly example, but sure. it's like creating a UFO spaceship. I don't really have the means to, to do that right now. Um, and so I can think about it in my head. I can see every detail, but it doesn't mean that I can necessarily put it into practice. Um, on the contrary, I, I am a big believer. If, if you could create something in your head and if you could believe that, that that's something that you can get done and achieve, the mind is a very, very powerful tool. And I really do think that if we put it into action, it, it can happen. Um, and I know that's, I, I don't, did I give appropriate answers? Yeah, that yeah kind of that's happens? fine. I mean, that's up for the listeners to decide. The point yeah. is you got to make, yeah. you got to make an attempt at it. So I think that's, yeah. I think that's valuable. Okay. Is anything else you want to add? I got one can more. repeat it? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no, it's okay. Uh, do you want to move on to the next one or you want me to repeat it again? Repeat it one more time. For sure. Me. Let's see if anything. What the mind, what the mind of man can conceive and believe so it's essentially saying if you can if you can think it, you can do it, right? The mind of man can achieve. That's essentially what it's saying. I mean, I can't ask Napoleon Hill, but I think we yeah. agree. Somebody could say, well, the mind of man can achieve. That's esoteric. We don't really know what he means. You know, but I, th- I think everybody, you, you take it at face value. It is what it is. So do you feel like you're good with that? You want to go on to the next one or add anything? Yeah, I yeah, because like I said, there there is a lot of things, you know, when I was working in the collegiate route that, they were like, oh, no, we can't do that. And I had these ideas to, you know, bring into the program. And it was like, oh, no, we can't do that. And I'm like, man, I'm sick of people telling me that I can't do something because I know in my head I can. Right. Um, but I think that just goes along with what I had initially said. So sure. The yeah. mind is a powerful tool. So okay, it now, works in mysterious ways. Now I'm going to give you another one because you're, you're super active on Instagram. And I'll share your handle on this. And, and you share some good stuff. But I know you definitely believe in some aspect of motivation. So I cherry picked this one to challenge you. Okay. Okay. So Zig Ziglar is the person that stated this, or at least it's attributed to, and I'll repeat it. People often say that motivation does not last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. I'll repeat it. People often say that motivation does not last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. Talk about how you agree first and then we'll go disagree okay see you know what i i almost want to go disagree first i, I know you do that's I why i'm agree. not le- i'm not letting you do it i'm not letting you, you gotta no, go okay, agree I, know, first. I know um so i would say i i agree because i think it is something that again just as we are what we repeatedly do um we need to in some way motivate ourselves um you know, each day in, in different ways. It might not be in the same context every day, but um, it is important that we we are motivated to, um, y- you know, c- to continue to push forward. Um, I actually, uh, not that I don't believe in motivation, but I think it's discipline that actually gets us to do what, what we want to do. Like, I don't, I don't wake up every day at 5am being like, I'm so motivated to go for a run and do my workout and train hard, but I'm disciplined. And I get it done because I'm disciplined um, and because I, I do things even when I don't necessarily want to. So I think motivation is really kind of glamorized. And I think it is important. We do have to be motivated to act on certain things, but it really comes down to being disciplined to do it. And discipline is when you're doing the things that you know are going to benefit you in some way. But it doesn't mean that every time you walk into the gym, you're like amped up and fired up and ready to go. Um so I actually think I disagree with that one a little bit more than I agree with it. Good. I I mean, it's good to have polarizing views with that. It's good. And I, I'm with you. I think that motivation is a glamorized term. We talk about the difference in my book of motivation versus drives. Motivation is often ephemeral. 
Now, to Zig Ziglar's point, that's he's like, that's why you got to do it daily. But I think we need to learn what drives people because that drives lead to discipline. When we know if somebody is more learn, acquire, bond, defend, whatever that alchemy is internally, that allows us to steer them in a more constant uh, and, and consistent way. So I love that. All right. Now I have another question for you. This one's not a quote. This is just a question. And again, it's phrased the way it is for a reason. So I'm not going to elaborate on what what it means in context. I just want to hear your answer. Don't overthink it. The audience that we have is smart enough, or at least they should be, to know that we're putting you on the spot and you know, give yourself some grace here, okay? Most people wouldn't okay. even answer these questions. So the question is, am I, are you, Elena, a good communicator? And I am not going to define what good communicator is, and I'm not going to define mm-hmm. what communication is per the research in this. If you guys want to know that, get your butt to the apprenticeship. But are you a good communicator? Have fun with this. No, I'm a great communicator. Oh, okay. All right, explain. <laughs> Defend your stance. Yeah, you know what? I It really wasn't until recently that I really took ownership of that. So um, I'm not saying that isn't coming from an, an arrogance. Um, that isn't coming from cockiness. That's just like I'm finally taking ownership for strengths that were given to me through, again, going back to that environment I grew up in. Um, and I shied away from it for so long. Like I always was like, oh, that's not important enough. I need to learn more. I need to read more. And I just put it on the back burner for too long. And it's, and I finally, actually, I said it out loud, maybe for the first time last night, I said, damn, I'm good at what I do. And, and I'm using the word good, but right when you said that, I was like, no, I'm, I'm a great communicator and it's something I work at. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. But I work at it. I'm mindful of it. And I, I, again, I know I have a lot to learn, but I am damn proud of how far I've come. So I, I got to own that. That's good. I appreciate that. Now, one of the things we say at our workshops is none of us are as good as we think we are. You know, and we, okay. put, when we admittedly put people in situations, myself included, I dive right in in the apprenticeship where inherently we're bound to fail. The difference is it's a safe place to fail. We, we create constraints that take us out of what we think we're good at. Right. And so it's a lot of fun to be able to do that and get people out of this. So now I'm salivating to get you to one of these events because I think, (laughs) uh, well, because for good communicators or great communicators or what have you, it's a lot of fun to actually put yourself in a situation where you clam up. And it's interesting because a lot of people think, oh, you only have to be uh, these things are only for extroverts. Uh Uh-uh. We put everybody on the same playing field. But I I love that answer. That's good. All right. Now, there's two more. And then you're off the hook and you don't get a, you don't get a choice to not answer it. All right. This next one, kinda, okay. this next one kind of sucks. What do I tend to be most jealous of or envious of and why? What? All right. Now you could go who as well. Yeah. You could do it. It could be anything. And, and the terms do not get changed. You have to, we have to admit darkness where there's light as mm-hmm. well. You can't stand in the sun without a shadow. We all get jealous. Sometimes we all get envious. We all get some ego, um, it can be complimentary or it can be then in, in a way that we know kind of eats, eats away at us. So, um, you know, like for I'll, I'll lead here, if that helps, will that help yeah. expressing? So, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. um, what I tend to, if I look at it, I used to think it was anger. I used to think it was frustration, but really there's probably a little bit of jealousy or envy in that, even though I don't really think those terms connotate it, they all have to be a part of it. I got upset. Early in my career, I would get upset when I saw people who used what I thought were poor training practices in elevated positions, right? I'd be 22 years old, making no money. I'd hear about somebody that made all this money, and, you know, you'd see stuff, and they didn't even look like they taught it clean correctly or whatever. And so that was a really ugly part of me back then. And, of course, I was just envious. I thought, like, well, I could do this better or whatever. Now, as I've gotten older, where that man, I care less about that because that's all context. I'm not going to really waste my life worrying about like who gets what role. That's just not important to me. Um, but based on my experience in the hospital, what I do get angry or jealous or envious now is these people that have these huge platforms where they're spewing what I think is bad communication or leadership advice. And I define bad as it's just not genuine. It's telling people um, that just positivity will help them get over their issues. And, and, I, and I feel that way. Because I know when I was hospitalized, just thinking positively wasn't going to get me out of there. I mean, we, we dealt with a lot of dark power dynamics, egos and things. And that's why I specialize in that area now. I want to help educate people on those things so that when they deal with the ugly realities of life and leadership, they can do it. But 
I know that that's just not as sexy as somebody filling up an auditorium, getting everybody dancing, clapping, happy, you know, this and that. So I'll get envious of the platform because I feel like, man, that's some bullshit they're spewing and that's not helping as many people as it could. Um, and yeah. again, we, we've got to share these ugly parts of ourselves too, but I would totally be lying to you, the listeners and everything. If I said, I don't want to have a platform someday where I can spread real tough struggle-based information to a larger audience out of hope. It's like a Machiavellian thing, right? You, it's the wrong thing for the right reason, right? So yeah. now you got to go ahead and you got to, you got to dive in. Okay. So, um, I mean, I'm naturally very competitive. Again, I grew up with older brothers, so and and they never went easy on me. So I think in a lot of things I do, I I always I always just want to I I want to do do my best, but I, I want to be a, a leader in what I do. I think I I would have to agree with the the platform. Um, is you know when I do have people, and you know it, it could be uh, someone on social, whatever it might be, but when, when they have a platform and they have a lot of ears listening to them and they are delivering, um, some not so sound information or, or potentially sharing a message that is not a great message to share. I think that's where some, some jealousy definitely surfaces for me. Or if, if I see someone doing something that I know I'm capable of. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an, and it, that's not a malicious jealousy. That's a very like, I know I'm capable of that. Like, I know I can do that. And I'm jealous that they're there. And like, I know I'll get there eventually, but right now I want to be where they are. Yeah, um, no, I think that's good. To, you talk about competitiveness and jealousy make interesting bedfellows. People like to think, oh no, I'm not jealous. I'm just competitive. Ah, you're jealous. No, like, they, <laughs> yeah, like they're all, they're all interrelated, but we don't, we don't really hold ourselves accountable because we don't like to view ourselves in that light. So I appreciate the candor. All right. Now this one, you're in control, right? Just okay. give one example and it's okay to take a second, right? This is the last one I have for you. What's one example of a very hard, difficult, uncomfortable, whatever term you want to use question you ask yourself that you think the audience should ask themselves too? I think the question would be, where is this stemming from? And that question forces you to go a layer deeper so if I feel jealousy, if I feel anger, okay, is it, let's say it's Ryan not taking out the garbage, which never really happens, but let's say he didn't take <laughs> it out and I get angry. Am I really that angry that he didn't take out the garbage? Or like, is this stemming, is, is it stemming from something else? Um, and it's uncomfortable to have to go deep. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to have to go inward a little bit. Um, I, I'm a very passionate individual. I'm Italian. I'm emotional. I use my hands when I talk like, and, and so sometimes um, in the past, I think I've gotten better at it. I've been a little bit more reactive. Um, and so to stop and have to be a little bit more mindful and, and take a step before I react um, and, and take time to respond as opposed to reacting. Um, but you got You got to go inward a little bit and it's uncomfortable because you're like, no, everything's good. And then all of a sudden, and, and I say this because I suppress a lot of grief when I lost my dad, because I started at a new school. I needed to put on a happy face. I needed to be a good coach. They just hired me. I had to make a good first impression and I suppressed a lot of feelings and it came out in gruesome ways um, about a year later. And it, that it was more just like emotion and feelings, but there was a lot that I kind of pressed down. So now I just say like, if I react to something in a certain way, it's where is this stemming from? I like that question. I've written it down. And I appreciate that. Elena, you've been more than gracious with your time. You have given us so many things to chew on, whether it's certifications, dealing with loss, adversity, great questions to ask yourself. You've given us great uh, contextual black and white answers to common quotes that oftentimes can people just swallow without thinking more deeply about. We will only hit the tip of the iceberg with you. If our listeners want to learn more about you, your work, everything you're doing, where can they go? And understand we'll put it all in the show notes. Um, and so if you guys have any issues with spelling or whatever, just check it in the show notes. But tell us, Elena, where they can find you. I'm pretty much training to excel across the board. So my website is training to excel.com. I will say it's the number two in the letters XL. Sure. 
But when you say it out loud, you're training to excel in sport and in life. Um, and then also at training to excel on Instagram. And I'm pretty active on there. So my my email, my DMs are always open. I'm always happy to chat. Um, yeah, but pretty much training to excel across the board. Yep, guys. And just in case, so you hear it, it's training to the number two X L and, and we'll have it all listed. Well, listen, on a personal note, I want to tell you, and I can't remember if it was a professor or a colleague, so I apologize for that. But one thing that was probably, it, it meant so much to me, whether you know it or not, is when I got reached out and somebody shared a clip of you speaking very well at that. And you had said something about a goal that you had. And it was a, it was a big goal. I can't remember if it was this year or, or just a life goal in general. Either way, I'm grateful and it was, I want to be on the Art of Coaching podcast. And I saw that, and that was pretty hard to not get emotional. Because admittedly, I still see myself as this underdog, That's this person that's trying to do something that moves the needle, that helps people. I don't know if I'll ever achieve it at the level that I want, but that showed me that I at least felt like I was on the right track. If I can impact people like you, and I know you impact me just through your support and everything else, and, and extremely well-spoken, it's very impressive. But I want you to know what that meant to me. And it's something I'll never forget. Wow, I I appreciate hearing that because uh, yeah, I'm I, I'm big on goals. I think setting goals are important, but I think saying them out loud is is scary. And in in that clip, you would have seen I was speaking with a group of students who were all a little bit shy about sharing things out loud. And so I, I was gonna I you know if I'm gonna ask them to do it, I got to put myself in that uncomfortable situation. So I said, hey, like I have a goal. There, you know. The podcast I listen to on the daily, I, I want to have a conversation on that podcast. This is my goal. And so the fact that that kind of made its way to you and, and made the impact like it did, I, I really, really appreciate hearing that. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate you having me on here. Okay. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And I hope to see you soon. Guys, this has been Brett Bartholomew, Elena Luciani, thanking you from the Art of Coaching podcast. And we'll talk to you again soon.